the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Thank you Viv very much indeed. So it's good to be back with you myself and uh, Francis and I together after our time away also in Uganda, so a little bit of a Uganda theme around life at the moment. And we were grateful as well for your interest and prayers while we were there over Easter. We missed the action team by three hours in Brussels airport. They were coming home and three hours later we went out, probably on the same plane. Our experience of Uganda were a little bit different in that most of our time was spent in Kampala, which is the capital city and by far the largest urban area of Uganda, whereas the action team, as you heard, were in a much smaller town, Gulu, in the north of Uganda. But we both went to the same country, we both went to the same national park to view the wildlife and enjoyed uh, comparing experiences in the last couple of days as we've been talking this weekend. And our own daughter, Sarah, is doing very well. She actually has a much smaller class than the ones which uh, the team visited in Gulu. And in the international school where Sarah's teaching, she has just over 20 children in her year group, but still a very challenging group to teach. And uh, following the American curriculum, but uh, leading into the international e English GCSE and A-level curriculum, and Sarah's school certainly maintaining a very high academic standard all the way through, uh, quite different to some of the state schools where the teacher may or may not turn up and that sort of thing. So it's a very different scenario. I took the school service at Easter and then Francis and I together spent a whole day with groups of children from the school doing some Easter craft activities, which were great fun. And uh, we really had a chance to engage with both the school and the children who were there. And also in the time that we were in Uganda and other places, we had many conversations with different people and I think that gave us a great insight into life in Kampala and the surrounding districts. And uh, we were very grateful for that experience as well. So that's my summary of our Uganda trip. Now today in our sermon, uh, we're continuing with our big theme of Hope 2018. But where the shift is now after Easter is that in the next few Sunday mornings, I want to take some questions of hope, some questions of hope. So some questions that might sit underneath our thinking around hope. I've really enjoyed exploring this great theme of hope in recent weeks. I'm so pleased we're giving the whole year to it 
because there is so much to say about hope. The gospel is a message of hope to people in all circumstances and we're called to be overflowing with hope. Do you remember where we started at the beginning of January? Let's put up the slide that had our theme text for this year. Let's say these words together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a magnificent message that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But for some people who are outside of the Christian faith and outside of the church, this message of hope is a little bit shallow because of the questions that they will ask that sit around Christianity. And they say, it's all very well for you to say that because you believe in God. We don't believe in God. So where does hope fit in for us? If we're to communicate effectively the gospel of hope, we need to be able to address some of the big questions of hope that other people are asking, or indeed that we ourselves might be asking too. And that's where we're coming at this theme of hope in the next few weeks, with the questions that sit underneath some of these great messages of hope. Now, I did have an initial plan as to how this would work, and one or two topics went on the website a while ago. I've since amended the plan, so I'm sorry if you were following the website. We need to bring it up to date. And uh, I will make sure that the plan of the questions that we're following are clear this week once I've finally decided the uh, plan through the next two or three months. And uh, we'll put it into the notice sheet. We'll update the website and make sure that, if you like, you can follow the questions that are coming. And we're going to have some notes that will link into home groups. If the home groups would like to connect with this, then that, that's fine. But for this morning, I just have a very short time to say something about this fundamental question, does God even exist? And my springboard for that question are those words in Romans 11, verse 36, which we've read, which simply say, from him and through him and to him are all things, to God be the glory. Everything comes from God. Everything flows through God. Everything is for good. Where does everything come from? It comes from God. How do we know everything comes in existence? It's through God. How does everything happen? It's for God. God is the creator, the sustainer, the heir of all things. He is the source, the means, and the goal of all that is. And therefore we give him all glory, honor, and praise. That's the Christian perspective. That's what the Bible says. That's what Christians believe. That's what many of you here this morning would echo. But what about someone who will turn around and say, how do you know this is true? How can we be sure even that God exists? How can we say that from him and through him and for him are all things? It's a very important question, isn't it? Many of you will be familiar with Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. And in quite an aggressive and determined style of writing, he claims that there is no place at all for God in our contemporary society. Dawkins' view is that any kind of belief in the supernatural is mistaken and indeed damaging 
on society of whole, as a whole. And whilst Dawkins may choose to take that view and to write about it, there are many very intelligent, thoughtful people who will take a different view. The Christian scholar Alistair McGrath was once an atheist, starting with the same point of view as Dawkins. But they're moving to a very different place of both believing and accepting the Christian gospel and a worldview in which God was utterly central. And his response to Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, is a small but very perceptive book called The Dawkins Delusion. There is very little sign of a decline in belief in God today. By and large, in the world as a whole, people do believe in God. There may be questions around the way in which God is understood and experienced, but faith is alive and well. From a global perspective, atheism is in the minority. Uganda is a country where lots of people believe in God. Going underneath the surface, there are some very deep challenges about that. But initially, people will say, yes, of course, I believe in God. And indeed, they'll say, I believe in Jesus as well. Tim Keller, writing in The Reason of God, said this, though there cannot be irrefutable proof for the existence of God, many people have found strong clues for his reality. Divine fingerprints in many places. And I particularly like Tim Keller's phrase, divine fingerprints. Fingerprints. I can leave my fingerprint on anything I touch. There's a nice bit of silverware there. I can leave my fingerprint on it. You won't really see it, apart from the fact that it's not quite as polished as it was before I touched it. But my fingerprint is there a sign of my presence. God has left his fingerprint in many places as evidence, signs of his presence in the world today. So if we want to know how we can believe in God, whether he really exists, look for his fingerprints. And I'll just touch on four of those. First, God's fingerprints in the universe. Because the question of God's existence obviously is closely linked to the beginnings of the world and the beginnings of life. You and I have a beginning. There was a time when we were conceived, when we grew in our mother's womb, when we were born. Our life had a beginning. The world as a whole had a beginning as well. Scientifically, the scientists may discuss exactly how that happened. Maybe through an explosion of atoms, the Big Bang, maybe in a different way. But what caused it to happen? What brought about the beginning of this world in which we live? Nothing? No one? A total accident? Or was it God's fingerprint on the beginning of the universe? Where we were staying in Kampala, we stayed with friends of ours um, who we knew from our years in Enfield. And they were in quite a large house. And uh, in the center of the city in Kampala, it's very important to have good security. 
and they had good security, which included an alarm system that went round the fence, or a fence that went round the wall of their property. And it was on at night. And then every now and again, and they were rather apologetic for this, because every now and again, the bells would ring. Now, it might be because there was an intruder, but more often it was because a leaf fell on the alarms or there was a little four-legged creature that was running around that kind of connected between uh, two of the cables or something like that caused the alarm to go off. The reality is there always had to be something to cause the alarm to go off. There has to be something that causes this amazing world to exist. Genesis 1 refers to a beginning. In the beginning, God created. The universe has a beginning and God's fingerprint is there. We also have God's fingerprint in the shape and design of life. Big and small. The design of the universe and the design of every living organism. In biology, we look closely at the DNA of everything that is living and we find intelligent, structured information. Uh, I'm no biologist, but something I read this week said that an amoeba, amoeba has enough structured and meaningful data to fill 30 encyclopedias. Don't really understand that comment. But at least it says that the simplest of creatures has carries with it an amazing amount of design, of information. Things that could not happen by accident. In astronomy, we look at the stars and all the elements of the vast universe which are finely tuned together in a remarkable way. Shape and design is a hallmark of our lives, both big and small. God's fingerprint is on the universe in its shape and design. Thirdly, God's fingerprint is in our human life. We all have some sense of what is right and what is wrong. It's often called the moral law. We believe that hurting a child is wrong. We believe that destroying the environment is wrong. We believe that people of all races and backgrounds are equally important that mercy is better than hatred, that loyalty is a virtue. We believe these things because there is something ingrained within human right, life that gives you a sense of what is right and what is wrong. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 2, about a law that is written in our hearts, whether we believe in God or not. And sometimes there are deep convictions that come out of people which may seem to be contrary to na nature, to show love to everyone, whatever their circumstance, to offer sacrifice to strangers when needed, powerful values that are deeply embedded within the human mind. And an author called Mark Clark, in his book, The Problem of God, said, such is what it means to have the heart of God stitched in our being. God's human print, God's fingerprint rather in human life because you bear the image of God. 
God's fingerprints in the universe, in shape and design, in human life. But supremely, God's fingerprint in his word. Because in the beginning was the word, says the Gospel of John, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has put his fingerprint, not just in the universe and in its shape and design and in the nature of human life. Yes, God's fingerprints are in all those places. But God has not just created a world. He has revealed himself within that world. The word of God is the expression of God. God coming and breathing, moving, being within this world that he's made. And that revelation is supremely in Jesus Christ, the living word of God. He is the key point of that revelation. And alongside that, of course, we have a written record, a witness to the revelation of God in the pages of scripture. As by many different writers and at many different times, these documents have been gathered as a witness to the fact that God is not silent in this world where he's placed his fingerprints, but he's spoken into the world. He's come into the world. He is part of the world. Scripture gives us the witness. Jesus gives us the person. And you and I in the church are the continuing evidence of the revelation of God. Because our lives have become filled with God's presence and God's love. And we're part of the story that this world is not here by accident, but that the fingerprint of God is upon the world that he has made. The church is the continuing evidence of that revelation. So God has left his fingerprints in the universe, in shape and design of things large and small, in the character of human life and our sense of right and wrong. And he's left his fingerprint in those moments in life when he's made himself known, supremely in Jesus, witnessed in the scriptures and evidenced in the life of the church today. Does God exist? Well, for me, of course he does. And these are the kind of things that I might say if someone were to ask me that question. So what must I do about it? Are we just feeding our minds with something interesting this morning? Or do we need to do something about it? Again, from Mark Clark's book, The Problem of God. When the sun comes up tomorrow morning, it isn't only because of the earth's rotation, but because God is love. And behind all the wonderful beauty of scientific study of this world, he wants us to discover the God who made it. So when the sun comes up tomorrow morning, there may be a scientific reason 
why it has journeyed round and reached the point of sunrise. But there is also a God-given reason why you and I are alive tomorrow and indeed why we're alive today. Because he wants us to discover the God who has left his fingerprint upon this world. For him and through him, from him, are all things. To God be the glory. Therefore, writes Paul, and the chapter division between Romans 11 and 12 should not be taken too strongly. Therefore, offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Bring your life to him. Give your life to him. That this God whom we believe in, who is the source of all hope, who truly exists, might transform your life and help you as you engage with other people who might ask that big question. Is there a God? Yes, there is. And here is the evidence.